Welcome to a Revival House Sermon, where we champion you to become the unveiling of Jesus to this world. Why don't you go first Timothy chapter two? I'm gonna read something and then I'm gonna dive in to where we're going. But it says that talking about God here, he longs for everyone to embrace his life and return to the full knowledge of the truth. For God is one, and there is one mediator between God and and the sons of men, the true man, Jesus, the anointed one. For God is one, and there is one mediator between God and the sons of men, the true man, Jesus. So, I'll kind of come back to that maybe in a second. But, the first thing is this. So we've got to go over a few beliefs or whatever you want to call them, beliefs, revelations, truths that are going to help you to be free and live fully alive. I'm going to kind of steam through a few things here. Let's try to hang on. But. I'll review a little bit for you, too. So, the first belief, revelation, or truth that is going to change the way you think about everything and see everything is the Trinity. We've talked about the last little bit here, that the Trinity is the foundation of everything that you believe, and it is really the the truth that everything has to be filtered through that. And that there was never a time in history, there was never a time that God was just God by himself, but that he was three in one, Father, Son, and Spirit. And there was never a time that it was not all three of them. Because that truth tells us that God's chief being is that he is a relational being. The chief reality is that God is relational And there was never a time that God was austere. There's never a time that God was separate. There's never a time that God was distant. There's never a time that God was not even chiefly relational. Trinity is the most important thing you believe. People have died for that belief. Literally. And so, if there is ever a moment that it was just God, if there is ever a moment, then there could be a possibility they could, he could be other than relational. And as the early patristics fathers saw, is that the Trinity was chiefly relational. And in that, it was that the Father loved the Son, and the Son loved the Spirit, and the Spirit loved them. And it's constantly the swirl, and they called it perichoresis, the circle dance of God. That it was literally, they were loving each other, completely other-centered of themselves, never once thinking of themselves, always thinking of another person, that it became the swirl of them loving each other. And they never did it for the intention of receiving love. 
They did it purely because their nature was to be other-centered. Their nature was to be agape. That is the truth about God. It's not that he's a judge. It's not that he's you know, angry. It's not that he's wrathful. It's not these things. His, the only is statement about God is that he is love, and therefore his nature is to be relational. And out of that relational dynamic, out of that truth, comes we want to share the fellowship that we have with one another with someone else. We want to share this. And within, within the Trinity's life, is really that's the best description is life, is that in being other-centered and loving the other person, what happens is when you love a person and they love you and you get this dynamic, is that what comes out of that is fellowship, and fellowship brings life. And they said, we want to share life with humans. We actually want to share the life that we have. And it's really important that Jesus was the light of the world, and in him was all life. Because what he is doing is, is he is sharing the life of the Trinitarian dance with you and I. And that's why he says, I have come to give you life and life more abundantly. Because out of you coming into union with them and entering into this dance, you get fellowship and there's life inside of that. And that's why he says, I've come to give you life and life more abundantly because I'm bringing you in to the dance that we have. The center of all life that has come in the universe and then even in your own life originates in one single place, and that's in the center of the Trinitarian dance of love created in that fellowship. And that is where the idea to create humanity was thrust out. It was not, well, we want to create some humans so that they can worship us. Is that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the beginning, God's plan was, I'm going to create the living expression of who I am, Jesus. And he is going to become an incarnate human so that we can bring them into the dance. It was not ruined by sin. Sin was just the journey that he had to go through to get you here. Right? So, I can't spend too much time on that, even though I probably could. But that, that's first thing. Number one, if you're writing notes or if you're just... Put it in your mind. Go, number one, my foundation is Trinity. My foundation is fellowship. My foundation is relational. My foundation is the love of God. There was never a moment that he was not that. There's no dark side of God. There's no other side of God. There's no dualism in God. The reason that he is called one God is because he has one intention, one mind, one heart, one desire. And it's not there's the Jesus is the good side of God and God is then the other side of God. It's no. He is one God. He has one personality. He has one person. And that's who God is. They love each other so well that the best description of describing them is being one. And so, that's number one. And we could go really deep into that. But then, another part that you've nailed down is everything in the universe that, has, that was ever created that has being was, as we know through Hebrews 1, is that everything was created 
in Jesus and through Jesus is, and is sustained by Jesus. And you may think, Anthony, that has no meaning to me. That has no draw on who I am. Well, it actually is huge. You listening, Ryan? Good. I knew you were. <laughs> but everything, listen to me, everything was created in Jesus and through Jesus, and everything is sustained by Jesus. If Jesus ever removed himself from creation, creation would cease to exist. All right? You as Westerners might have a problem with that because we come from Newtonian thought. Newton said, oh, well, I believe in God, but I believe that he created the universe and wound it up like a clock and then pulled back. And that God's actually way far distant. Heaven is this faraway place. That's not the New Testament. That's Plato. Plato said that heaven is a faraway distant place. Jesus never did. But in, in, in our Western thought, is heaven's this faraway place, and God wound this universe up like a clock, and he stepped out, and then we messed up in sin, and they had to come back into this place, and then he had to fix the problem, but then he stepped back out. Because you're influenced by Newton, and you're influenced by Plato, and you're Westerners. But the reality is, is that everything was created in Jesus and through him, and everything is sustained by him. You're going to see why this is important really quick. And that is, if everything is inside of Jesus, is if, if all created matter has actually been in Jesus, through Jesus, and sustained by Jesus, then whatever happens to the person sustaining that universe, it will also happen to it. It may, the, the, may be going deep for you. I don't know, but think about it. If everything is in Jesus, this is what the New Testament teaches, and it's sustained by him, that whatever happened, whatever happens to that person, Jesus, whatever happens to him, it's going to happen to the thing that he's sustaining. You cannot take the universe out of Jesus, and you can't take Jesus out of the universe. Because it's the only thing that's holding it together. That's pretty important that you think about that. So, we got the Trinity, number one. Pretty important you believe that. Because that's going to change everything. Relational. Number two, everything is in, through, and by Jesus. And the third thing that we're going to try to nail tonight a little bit is the incarnation of Jesus. You see... I don't even know where to go with this. It's just, so, it, it's just so big. But let me just try my best at laying this out for you. Is that the only way for God to bring you into the Trinity is by bringing humanity in. And so Jesus is going to become what we are so that we can become what he is inside of the relational dynamic with his Father. And as we know that we were predestined before the foundations of the earth to be conformed to the image of Christ, that means the predestined plan for you, his intention for you, was always to look like Jesus, to be conformed to his image, to, to fit inside of him. That was always the plan. That was not the backup. 
That was not the solution to sin. That was always the plan. The plan was always to, fare, to share the fellowship and life inside the Trinity with humanity. And so before the foundation of the earth, it was already decided that Jesus was going to become a human. Emmanuel, God with us, is incredibly powerful. It was always in the Trinity's plan for Jesus to become what we are. But he did not come become a man and then stop that. I don't want to hit you too hard too early on, so I'm going to I'm going to walk it well, we're going to walk through it a little bit. So if that was the Trinity's always their plan, then the incarnation which probably look, I've been in Christianity my whole life and I could probably count on one hand if any if I've heard any sermons on the incarnation. All it, usually it's a passing thought of, oh yeah, well, you know, Jesus became man and, and then, you know, to take care of our sin issue to, you know, appease God. But for the early church, two most important beliefs was the incarnation and the Trinity, bar none. They lived and breathed and died for this. And you don't even know what it's about. Because it doesn't fit within the Western, Western mindset of just appeasing a legal issue. Because if, yeah, if you were just created to be in the garden and have a good life, and then you mess that up with sin, and then he comes and takes care of that sin, then you can just go back to having a good life, and then die and go to this far distant heaven, sure, that's pretty easy. But if the original intention, if from day one, if the intention was, we want to create these beings that are distinctly different from us, but we want to share our fellowship and life with them for eternity, then we have to create them, and we don't want to just give them love, right? We don't want to just put them in a garden and love them in a place. We actually want to create them for the purpose that they would come in and join inside the most beautiful, life-giving thing in all the universe, and that is our love for each other. We want to bring them in. And so from day one, that was their choice. And so, if Jesus, this is, think about this, if Jesus is the sustainer of all of the universe, did he stop sustaining the universe when he became a human? You could probably maybe do some weird, stupid gymnastics to maybe say yes, but let's just not even, that's just dumb, right? No. Jesus never stopped his role of literally sustaining every electron and neutron and atom inside your body, holding everything together. He never stopped doing that. Also, Jesus never stepped outside of the Trinity. If at once... If Jesus ever violated the love relationship between the Father and the Spirit, the whole thing would implode. Everything would end. So, and this is the Nicene Creed. Was in, they, they nailed this really, really well because they were like, he was fully man. He was fully God. He was fully fulfilling all of his jobs. 
as God, and he was fully fulfilling everything as a man. So another thing is he never stepped out of the loving relationship he has with his Abba. He never stepped out of that Trinitarian dance. That's really important too. So this is what the in, this is what the incarnation is. Is that humanity was created. And when Jesus comes day 1 on Christmas when Jesus comes, the Trinitarian dance doesn't end. All that happens is Jesus starts doing it in the skin of Adam. What happens is, Abba, I am going to continue to stay in this union with you in the dance, but now I'm not leaving this place I'm going to go set up shop on planet Earth. I'm going to set up shop inside of Adam's skin, and we are now going to do the fellowship of the Trinity inside of Adam. And inside of Adam's delusion, let alone. Like, this is basically... What the gospel is really saying is this, is that we have all been infected with this delusion of who God is and we essentially are lost from our original intention because we believed this lie of who God is and there's no way to get out of it. And Jesus did not just come and become man, Jesus came fully in flesh. And what flesh is not just skin and bone, flesh is the delusioned idea of who God is, the full sin, the full depth of hell that we create, that's what flesh is always describing. So Jesus said, I'm, I'm going to come and I'm going to live inside not just Adam, not just as a human. He could have just come as a human, but no, he's not just going to come as a human. He's actually going to come and live in your flesh, in your own delusion, in your own mess, in your own failings in your own crud. And not only is he going to live inside that, he's never going to bow or break to the lie. He's never going to break union with his Abba. And he's going to continue the Trinitarian dance within Adam's skin. The incarnation is that God set up shop inside of humanity. But more than that is that he actually has never stopped it. When Jesus ascended to the right hand of his father, did he stop becoming? Did he stop living inside of Adam's skin? It says he didn't. When Stephen was about to be stoned, he said, I see the son of man, not the son of God. Because he says, what he's saying is, I see a human. That's why they killed him. The heavens opened, and Stephen looks, and he says, I see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Father. Stephen said, I saw a human now sitting with 
the Father. Jesus never laid down his humanity after he picked it up. So the amazing thing is, is that Jesus is the human connection to the love dance, not just when he was on earth, but now inside the presence of Abba, and that will never not be for eternity. So, I want you to realize what that means, is that humanity is inside the love dance. It wasn't that Jesus became a man so he could legally not be sinful and be morally perfect, but Jesus became a man so he could set up the shop of God inside of Adam's skin, live that out, never bow, never break, and at the same time fulfill the Trinity's dream to be fully in union with humanity. And then when he dies, he is dying as Adam. So what happened on the cross? If Jesus is the sustainer of all things and everything is inside of him, then whatever happens to him also happens to everything that he's holding together. So when he dies on the cross, Adam dies, but also everything in the universe that Jesus held together died with Jesus. That is why when Paul says, when Jesus died, we died, because he literally took the whole universe and said, we're all going to die together. And he, when he died, everything died with him. But the good news is the resurrection happened. And that means everything, everything in the whole cosmos. For God so loved the world is cosmos, creation, the universe. Jesus loved the whole cosmos, and when he plunged all of us into death inside of him, when he raised from the dead, we raised with him as well. We're brand new, recreated, totally new, because whatever happens to him happens to what he sustains. And so now everything has been regened, recreated, remade inside of Jesus. But the amazing thing is, is that you say, oh man, the cross was the greatest thing. I don't know, dude. Yeah, he died, and we all died with him. But then he raised, and we raised with him. Cool. But then there was something greater that even happened, is that he ascended to the right hand of his father. And he ascended as a man with all of creation inside of him. And so when you died, you died. When he rose, he rose. And when he ascended, we ascended as well. And now all of humanity is inside of Jesus because he's a human, because he's Adam, and we are all now dancing inside the Trinitarian life. Life and fellowship has been given to you inside of Jesus. That's the gospel. That's good news. So, I hate to break it to you, but you're already in. You do have a choice if you live in your delusion and never join in on the dance, but the fact of the matter is you can't get out because he's brought you in. But you can make the choice, because there always has to be a choice, to live in the delusion for eternity. But the reality is you belong to Abba. And you've been brought in. 
And there's not a single human being that you look at on a single day that is not right there inside the dance of God. And when you join in on that dance and that faith in Jesus is the reality of what he's done in that believing in that and the, the blinders coming off, then suddenly you get to join in on the fellowship dance of the Trinity. And what do you get? You get life. And life more abundantly. So the incarnation is the most important thing because Jesus is the one that has brought you in. Jesus, this is what's amazing to me. I just love to sit and think about this. Before God even created the creation or humanity, Jesus said, I will become a human. I will become Adam. And you know what? In that decision was the decision that he would never not be ever again. If Jesus ever is not seated at the right hand of the Father as Adam, then none of us are in. But so what he is saying is, all right, I'll go become that, and I'll never stop being that. And so, as we read in 1 Timothy, for God is one, that means he is one intention, one mind, one personhood, one desire, and there is one mediator. The mediator is not the lawyer getting between you and God. The mediator is that he's a human, and now that is your passport into the Trinity. And he will never stop mediating our connection to that life, to that joy, to that peace, to that eternity. He will never stop being the mediator, the God-man who is standing with Abba. That's what mediator means. Not your lawyer that's protecting you from God to just wipe you off the earth. See, the problem is, this is what's pretty crazy. And Baxter Kruger is the one who articulates this so well in his book. Is that, you see, if you make God's holiness just a morality issue, and that you have to appease God's morality because of sin, then what becomes the pinnacle? The cross or Jesus? It's going to mess with you, but think about this. If you say, all right, you're separated from God because of sin, because of, of you've broken law and whatnot, and it's a morality issue, and if you define holiness as morality, not that God is other than everything else in this world. That holiness is actually means to be set apart different other than beautiful. Holiness is really just describing the beauty of the Trinitarian life. And in reality, righteousness, holiness, all of the things that you can ever describe about God are actually just descriptions of what this love dance looks like. Right? So, but if you make holiness a legality issue then you make Jesus coming only to fulfill a legal issue. And the moment that the cross happens is when God gets to throw all of his anger about upon his son and settle the legal issue. And so the pinnacle of all of history is the cross. Because that's the moment that God got to judge everything that he hates about you. But 
if you believe that, then the incarnation has no value to you. But if you value the incarnation, which the early church did way more than anything you believe, if you believe the incarnation, it's that God was setting up shop inside of humanity's delusion, and they were going to take all of Adam, and they were going to bring forgiveness, restoration, atonement, everything. And actually, the day Jesus came to earth was the moment that he picked up the Trinitarian dance inside of humanity's lie and inside of Adam's skin. So, the early church, one of the greatest holidays they had was celebrating Jesus' birth because they said, oh my gosh, it's Emmanuel. It's that God is now inside of humanity. And that from day one, Jesus was living out the Trinitarian dance, holding everything together. He was fully God, 100% God inside of Adam. But he wasn't just enough Adam to qualify being a human. He was so much of Adam that it was qualified as flesh. It was delusion. It was the messed up part. He went all in or nothing. And so if you believe the incarnation, then it's that now inside of Jesus when we get resurrected with him. When he resurrects, we get resurrected. And when he ascends, we ascend with him. We're seated at the right hand of the Father. We are now seated in heavenly places is the revelation that the early church and the apostles and disciples saw. Oh, my Lord, now that he rose because he's a human, we're inside the Trinitarian dance. What That's what they're trying to say. We are now seated in heavenly places. And that there will never be a moment in history to ever come for eternity that Jesus will not be a man. And the so... The pinnacle of all of eternity is Jesus, not the cross. The cross was just the moment that Adam died, but the pinnacle of eternity is Jesus. It is Jesus, the God-man, the incarnate God living as me. That's the pinnacle of eternity. Don't sell out Jesus just to appease an attributive God on the cross. Let's jump into Jesus living as you and I forever. That's the incarnation. And we don't, have, we don't have time tonight, but luckily we have more days ahead of us. That not only are we inside the Trinitarian dance, but now the dance is inside of us. And I'll use a word that probably shouldn't be used, but we now get to be we get the divine nature by osmosis. And so now you living here on earth get to live with the osmosis of the Trinitarian life. That's why we can raise the dead. That's why we can heal the sick. That's why we can see what's going on in the spirit. That's why we can do greater works than even Jesus did because not only are we in the Trinity, not only are we inside of Jesus, but he is inside of us living out the Trinitarian dance every single day. That's why there's nothing impossible. 
the, uh, some early church writers called it theosis. And anyways, we're not going to get into that. I just said I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to say it. So, Jesus is the mediator because he's man, not because he's your lawyer. Because the Western mind has mutilated what the incarnation is. Because think about this. If you make the cross the moment that God was finally appeased and now God changes, because essentially that's what you have to do. You have to say that when God, man fell, God changed and became mad and, and, and wants to uh, legally deal with this issue. And then suddenly on the cross, he pours out all of his anger and now he's all good and you get happy God now. Now you get happy God, right? But so essentially you're changing God instead of God changing us. But it says that God was inside of Jesus returning us to him. We were the ones that changed. But if you make it where it's a legal issue, then all Jesus has to do is change God. Listen to me really closely. If he dies on the cross and deals with the legal issue, what happens is, is he changes God and then he can go back to heaven as God and step out of creation and go back to being distant. And that's why the Western church is so caught up in our anxiety, so caught up in our worry, because we have this idea that Newton said God wound up the universe and stepped back. And so we've said, oh, yeah, okay. And so we take that idea that God's this faraway being in a faraway heaven, but then sin happened. And so Jesus said, well, I'll step into it, fulfill the legal problem, change God, make it all good, and then I'll ascend back to my father and I'll step back out because there's no reason for him to continue to do what he was doing. And then we read verses like that he's the mediator of a covenant and we say, oh, well, uh, still a legal thing. So that means Jesus is standing there telling God, no, look, the, the blood is covering these people. But in reality, Jesus is saying, no, I'm going to become a man and I'm going to live as them and I'm going to die as them and I'm going to raise as them and then I'm going to ascend as them and I'm never going to stop doing that. And so what he has done is he has actually brought us into deeper union and communion with Abba. And that Jesus has actually included us inside of him, not distanced himself from him. See, the other alternative is that Jesus is far away and steps out of creation. But the alternative of the incarnation is that actually we're closer to him than we've ever been. You choose which one sounds better. That's the reality. So every moment of your life is an expression of what's happening inside of the Trinity. He's a mediator by flesh. He's a mediator by his body. Man, we're making good time. We got 13 more hours still left. So if you, I just love this verse. I was reading this and it just stuck out to me. He longs for everyone to embrace his life and return to the full knowledge of the truth. You're returning to the full knowledge of the truth because it was 
always in your in, your intent the the longing to be inside the life lived with god is does, is inside of your dna you were always meant to be there and any time you live out of outside of the intention of that dance is why there's pain it's why there's suffering it's why there's all this destruction because you're literally living disconcordant with your nature your nature is to be inside the love dance inside of union inside of uh his will inside of not just like his will but like his thoughts his intentions and his desires anytime you step outside of that you're literally like crossing the wires creating going that's not you who you are that's not what you were created to do that's why there's pain because it's literally you're fighting everything against who you're created to be so you're coming back to that knowledge of, yeah, I was meant to be there. For God is one, and there is one mediator. One intention, one mind, one desire, one, he is love, and that's period, dot, end. Jesus is what God has to say about himself. He's the mediator. He is the human connection between God and the sons of men, the true man. There's only one true man, and that's Jesus, because he will always be man, right? The anointed one. He gave himself as a ransom payment for everyone. For now is the proper time to give the world this witness. I, this is talking about Paul, I have been given divinely, I have been divinely called as an apostle to preach this revelation. What is this revelation? Draw a little arrow back up to verse 5. For God is one and there is one mediator. So Paul is saying, I have been given the job to tell the world the revelation that Jesus is the human connection that has brought us all inside the Trinitarian dance. And if you decide to live in your delusion, you live in your delusion. But at the same time, if you get the revelation of faith in Jesus, then you realize, ah, I'm there. I'm in it. I've got the life. That means you're totally whole. You're totally healed. You're totally alive. You're totally free. You're totally righteous. And there's not a single darn thing that you can do to earn anything more. There is not a single thing more. You can't get any closer if you're face to face with the Father, right? There's not a single thing more you can do. What Jesus did by becoming the incarnation is that he literally destroyed all. All religion because religion has only one message and that is you got to work for it you got to do something you got to earn it but if you're actually inside that dance with the Trinity then you can't do anything more you can't get any more whole you can't get any more healed you can't get any more perfect you can't get any more righteous that's a gift that's an imputed gift by Jesus and so what it's saying is you can't do one thing that means religion has nothing on you. The fear that you're not enough is gone because you're perfect in Jesus, right? How much of us wake up every day listening to the words, you're not enough? That was what got him at the garden. <gasps> well, you're not like God. What, did that, what is that? You're not enough. And every single day, well, you, you don't have enough money. You're, you're not pretty enough. You're not smart enough. You're not, you know, Whatever it is, you're not skinny enough, you're not, you know, whatever it is, you're not successful enough, you're not brave enough, and that's all day, every day. You're not enough, and you can eat of that fruit all you want, 
But the reality is, if you will wake up, if you'll get the revelation, if you'll come to repentance, which means not to be, oh, boo-hoo me, I'm a mess up. Repentance is change the way you think. Get a total 180, change the way you think. And when you get repentance, you realize, no, I'm in Jesus, and I'm in the Trinity, and I have all the access to life, and therefore, I am enough. And there's nothing I can add to me to make me any better. I'm enough. And so you just kick that little demon off your back and keep on walking because you're enough. That, that's some good news. What if we walked around telling people, hey, you're enough. You don't have to add anything to your righteousness. You are just lost. That's because you just don't know the truth. You're living in your delusion. You've created this lie of who God is. You've got this idea that he's far away and distant and mad and all this stuff. And the reality, he has already paid everything. He's already brought you near. You just have to lay all that crap down and come on. You Faith in Jesus. No one comes to the Father except through him because he's the mediator. He is the man connection. He is the God connection. That is and, and you are enough and that there is life and life more abundantly. It's going to be so abundant. The life inside of the Trinity is so abundant that the only way Jesus could describe it is that li- rivers of living water would shoot out of you. And that word for rivers of living water was literally gushing fountains of life would just come shooting out of you. Because you are literally right there connected inside that circle. Whoa. That's the good news, that you can have life and life more abundantly. That the, the revelation or the fruit of you coming back into unity is the assurance that God is good and the assurance that you are as you ought to be. That's what righteousness means, to be as you ought to be. And it's getting that assurance. It's, I love this story, and this is, this is how I'll land the plane, is that uh, it's just such a good story, so I'm just going to take it. <laughs> Uh, and Baxter Kruger shares the story that he was a young kid and he went to a um, football game in New Orleans and it was his favorite team and all this stuff and and it was for his birthday and he was there and they're walking out after the game and he sees the the players over there getting on the bus and so he takes off running because they're just his heroes and he takes off running through the crowd and runs up to him and gets to say hi to them and and they all are like hey and then he gets to talk to all of them and it's like the greatest moment of his life and so lowly, they all get on the bus, they all go, and he leaves, and he waves at them, and they're driving away, and then suddenly he realizes, everyone's gone. Like, the whole stadium's cleared out, even the players have left in their bus, and he's left standing in the parking lot, and he doesn't know where his parents are. And suddenly, what happens to a kid when that happens? Fear. Anxiety. What are you going to do? What? Party. Not when you're, I don't remember how old he was, eight or something like that, Right? little eight-year-old, and suddenly, fear, anxiety, he starts freaking out, and he's like, how am I going to find my parents, and he finds this trolley guy, and he tells him, I don't know where my parents are, he tells him the whole thing, can you help me, and the guy goes, okay, well, I'll just drive, and if you see a, see like a car or something, let me know, they, they make this big thing, he's looking, he's constantly looking, constantly running from one side to the other in this panic state, constantly looking, for his parents, and eventually, after a long time, the trolley guy stops the bus and says, we've made a full circle. We're back at the, we're back at the stadium, and he goes, I guess I'll just get off here, and he gets off, and he's standing there in the parking lot, and he's like crying, going, 
you know, I'm lost my parents. I don't know what I'm going to do. Like, I'm lost forever in New Orleans, and he's from Mississippi. And then they even turn off the lights. And he says, it is the darkest of darks that he's ever experienced in his life. And he's sitting there, and he's like, my life is over. And just falling into pieces. And then suddenly, the lights come on. And that right there was just the most exciting thing, just to have light again. He says, the lights come on, and he says, and the greatest words that were ever spoken in his life is that he hears his, <laughs> he hears his father say, Baxter, which is his name, Baxter Kruger. He says, at that moment, all of my fear went away, all of my anxiety went away, and I was fully assured I was safe. And that is what it looks like when Jesus turns on the lights, and calls your name. Because when we are in the place that we think we're distant from God, when we think that he's far removed, when we think there's something separating us, all we're doing is thinking about ourselves. And we're running around the world looking for somebody to give us something that'll settle it. And instead of thinking about the trolley man, you're just thinking about how you can use him so that you can find yourself. But then when he calls your name is the moment that you get assurance and you're safe. And then you can reach out and love. And you don't have to think about yourself anymore and you become selfless. And so in the garden was when God came walking and said, Adam, where are you? And when Jesus came, he came as Adam once again. And he answered the call of Abba. Here I am. And he never ran away. He never went into the bushes. And so if all died in Adam, then all were raised in Jesus. And that's, and that's what makes you want to run out in the streets and tell people it's time to come home because he's calling your name and you're not far removed. You just believe in that lie. So, let me land the plane. <clears throat> we better pray. Let's pray. Abba, this is good news. I believe we've lost your goodness. I believe we're still running around in the dark parking lot. Seeking for ourselves, looking for our own. And you're calling our name, saying I'm bringing you home. Is there a chance that God could be so good that there's actually not even another side of him? That it's only goodness? And the other picture I've created of him, of him was just a lie? Yeah. It's not that I had to appease this angry God. 
It's that I was listening to the lie, and I was painting a picture of him that was never real. No one comes to the Father but through Jesus. I'm not saying that everyone's just in and we can all sit back and never do anything. What I'm saying is that everyone has been brought in, but they don't know it. And there's a possibility they could not know it forever because they will continue to tar his face. We've got to tell them the good news, that Abba is better than we even dreamed. He's the Abba that comes in and wants to heal your body because he cares about your life. He's the Abba that comes in and says, I want to take away the anxiety that you're thinking about yourself and, and worrying about these things. He's the Abba that comes in and holds you in your pain, laughs with you when you're laughing. He's the Abba that wants to live every moment of every day with you, that he wants to share life and fellowship with you. He wants to rewrite the story of every human and say that I've made you for more. It's time to come home. He's an Abba that's too good. Eternity is this, that you would know the Father. That's what eternity is. What the afterlife is, we don't know. But what eternity is, is knowing Him. <laughs>